0: All right, wow, here we are, the first one.
1: You're doing great so far.
0: Thanks, Elliot, thanks. Excited, are you excited?
1: Yeah, I'm excited about how you're so obviously trying to keep in your girlish
0: giggles. Thank you, thank you. I've had many compliments on my laugh in my lifetime and that was certainly one of them. Girlish giggles. Yeah, for sure. All right. Anyway, anyway, enough of the banter. Uh, we're talking about safety. Yeah, that's Ryan.
1: the banter section over. Look forward to that. <laughs> that's
0: a recurring segment. Yeah, banter bantering with the Magellans is the first segment. The Magellan very short, always. Well, we can say Mogolyons in the thing. It's just Magellan because it's easier to say and it rolls off the tongue easier. Right, okay. For, for other people, for the American. I'm
1: reopening the banter segment to say that that's a stupid idea.
0: Okay, well, thank you. Okay, so today we're talking about uh, Saving Private Ryan. Classic. A classic, for sure, for sure. Uh, I think you've got a bajillion tabs open with information. Do you want to give a brief rundown for anyone who hasn't seen the movie or isn't fully familiar with Yes, yeah, so... Saving Private Ryan is a 1998 American
1: epic war film directed by Steven Spielberg and written by Robert Rodat. It's set during the Normandy invasion uh, in World War II and follows a squadron of uh, American soldiers from Charlie Company looking for the, what is it, third or fourth brother of a clan of brothers all of the rest of whom have died and uh the chief of staff the us chief of staff has assigned them to find this last brother so that the family is not completely obliterated stars tom hanks uh matt damon vin diesel i mean come on star power those are the big names the 90s, and there's also <laughs> yeah and there's also a lot of people who would become famous but actually have extremely small roles in this like paul giamatti shows up in the middle and it's yeah paul giamatti nathan fillion is a sort of big name it also uh won several academy awards not best picture not best picture famously uh, nominated for 11 academy awards uh, including best picture best actor best original screenplay it won five including best cinematography best sound best sound effects editing best film editing and best director for spielberg which was his second win cool. so that's yeah. sort of the
0: overview wow great job elliot good good yeah you really do have a lot of information over there
1: yeah I uh, don't don't worry pretty soon I'll get into the type of lenses that they used and oh, the, the camera the shutter technique that they Fantastic. used it was uh, a they used uh, a 90 degree shutter instead of a 180 degree shutter to give mm-hmm. the film its uh, distinctive sort of staccato effect
0: is that true is that a real fact
1: that is a real fact well, that's... that's why it almost looks it looks like just on the very edge of looking stuttering, you
0: know? Hmm. Wow. Well, that's, uh, that's a heck of a thing. That's going to really attract all of the cinematographers listening, listening to our podcast that they can learn from whoever (laughs) did it on saving private Ryan.
1: Yeah. I need to be careful. Otherwise I'll, I'll set a standard that I'll be unable to live up to because at this point, all I can, all I can relay is, what a five second Google search can find. So, you know, if we're talking about <laughs> Harakiri and uh, the Wikipedia guys have failed to update the page with relevant cinematography information, we're just going to be plumb out of luck.
0: Well, I can't believe that they would fail to update the Wikipedia page for such a timeless classic as Harakiri, a movie I'm sure, you know, everyone on earth is familiar with. The cinematographer was done by
1: Janusz uh, Kaminski, who's a Polish guy.
0: All right, well, let's, uh, let's dive in. What I think you, let's start with you. Or, well, let's actually start with me, because you've been talking forever. <laughs> okay. So I'll be honest, this is the second time I've seen it. I watched it once, two or three years ago, and then I watched it this weekend for this. And I did not like it as much as I did the first time, if I'm being if I'm being honest. I think it's I still think it's fantastic and it's one of Spielberg's better movies. But I think thematically, I had some issues with it this time as opposed to last time. What do you mean? I think the movie, in a sense, wants to have its cake and eat it, too, that it wants to have sections that feel very anti-war or like anti the American soldier and such, such as the people who shoot the surrendering Chechen soldier and other times when they want to kill, you know, the people that they've captured. But then at the same time, it ends with a fade from a graveyard into an American flag and it very, which is, you know, just obscenely patriotic. So it feels like the movie kind of wants to critique them at the same time as it's uh, praising them somewhat. All right, well, it's funny you should say that because
1: actually a lot of that plays into the research that I did in terms of the interviews with Spielberg and the negative reviews. So like, it's actually pretty hard to find negative reviews of this movie I did find one on the premier forum for cinematic criticism. Deviant Art. Uh, <laughs> the the person even said like they referred to it as an essay. They wrote an essay about why Saving Private Ryan is overrated, mm. and basically they found it very. And this is true of a lot of the negative reviews that I found. They found it to be manipulative in how, <clears throat> like the one on Deviant Art. Uh, specifically called out a moment in the D-Day invasion when some guy has been blown literally in half and he's calling out for his mother. And I guess they found that very emotionally manipulative, Mm. which I'm not sure makes a whole lot of sense because like, is that, is it that it's unbelievable or it's very similar to the criticisms of Schindler's List that it's manipulative and I have a sim. I have similar questions about those because a lot of the stuff, a lot of that stuff, actually happened. So it seems weird to get your, your get your uh, shorts in a twist over it. Hmm. The other thing is, this is not actually supposed to be an anti-war movie. Like this uh, interview between Roger Ebert and Steven Spielberg that he did before the movie came out, uh, and he he says that. He he does want it to be a realistic war movie and he wants, he doesn't want to like glamorize it, but he wants to it his intention is to honor the people who fought and died in the war and uh like render his what he calls his father's war because Spielberg's father fought in World War II in mm-hmm. the Burmese theater.
0: Yeah. I think that's the most generous interpretation of the movie is that it's not anti-war because war is a more complex thing than just being like, oh, definitely bad or definitely good. And so in the same way, the people in the war, and I think this is something Saving Private Ryan especially excels at, is showing really beautifully the humans at the center of this thing, right? The scene that comes to my mind is when... Tom Hanks character reveals his job and they've all been holding him up on this pedestal as this, you know, hard as nails captain who doesn't take nothing from nobody. And it turns out he's like a school teacher. He's just some Joe Schmo. And so I think the most generous interpretation of the movie is that they're more complex than just being good or bad. And they're something in the middle. That they do bad things, but they also try and do good things. And I think the worst the issues I have in the movie is when it falls too far on one side. Because, again, I think the ending is very just so wildly pro the soldiers that it feels weird given the other stuff we've seen in the movie with the soldier.
1: Yeah, you're you're pretty much being a cliche right now, according to my research, that. uh I guess a lot of it comes from people who want it to be more of an anti-war movie and you know there's obviously room for that but uh so like this guy says that Spielberg falls into the trap of portraying World War II as the good war World War II is referred to as the good war because it's the war that has like the most broad support and where mm-hmm. on the surface it certainly does seem the easiest to delineate between who's good and who's bad. Like Nazis are bad. And that's that's just the fact of it. That's just the fact of the matter, but uh, I don't know. I don't really have the same view. I, I think that, I mean, it is patriotic, but I guess like there is a reason to be patriotic at least in this instance. I mean it it does show a tr- or war crimes that were committed and war war crimes were committed but I would probably say that you know there's a time and a place for more a more introspective world war II movie uh told from the point of view of the allies I just think that this movie doesn't really want to do that it, it this movie's intention is to be the more patriotic gung-ho type not gung-ho but the more patriotic a bit simpler movie and i think that there's also a time and place for that and that time and place is in saving private ryan if it wants to be
0: sure so i think i can probably say then that you like the movie more than i do at this point uh yeah that's probably true Well, let's let's talk about some of the things that make it good Then you know, we've spent some time talking about maybe some tiny, some little quibbles. Let's talk about what makes it good. Uh, Firstly, the cinematography. I don't think it's any surprise to me that it won. I think it's fantastic. I mean, the opening D-Day sequence is just incredible. Like no one I don't think anyone's going to ever be able to film a better D-Day scene than what's at the beginning of this movie.
1: Yeah, the D-Day scene is sort of like uh, the opening to Up in that it almost takes an excess uh, portion of the movie's popularity and the conversations that happen around it. Uh, here, here's a fun fact for all you cinematographer lovers out there: uh, the the shutter timing was actually set to 90 or 45 degrees instead of the standard. 180 degrees, which I think is actually the exact opposite of what I said earlier. But the truth is, is it was 90 or 45 degrees.
0: So there was more shuddering. Okay. Hmm. What everything comes together in the D-Day sequence, like the cinematography, the shaky cam. I see a lot of people critiquing shaky cam because they're like, oh, I can't see. I'm like, well, maybe you're not meant to see. Maybe that's the point of them using the shaky cam is because That's, you know, it's evoking a feeling in the viewer that's supposed to put you in the shoes of the person who's there. So this shaky cam, it's hard to get a sense of where you are. It's hard to, you know, there's a lot of sounds coming through and it's just very disorienting in the same way that being in, you know, a battle would be, especially a battle like D-Day, where there's just so many things happening simultaneously. <laughs> yeah, so the, uh,
1: the Normandy D-Day sequence uh, was not actually storyboarded uh, or it wasn't, it was not planned out what they would shoot beforehand. Uh, and what happened is they had a bunch of different camera crews on the ground filming different things, different parts of the chaos. And they sort of looked through it to find what they liked best because they didn't want to lose the, you know, the chaos and the, the spontaneity of the invasion, which is part of the historical accuracy because the invasion was a bit, uh, it didn't really go according to plan. I mean, there's that whole, no plan ever survives first contact with the enemy, which is very well, very well embodied by the, uh, D-Day invasion, at least on Utah Beach, which is Mm. where this is. And on the subject of historical accuracy, Charlie Company was a real company and the movie hues pretty closely to what happened to it. So uh, they mentioned that they need to link up with some other company that they can't find because everything has just gone to absolute heck in a handbasket. That is something that actually happened. Hmm. That's for my history buffs out there. Yeah.
0: Wow. You're such a. Wow. You're really catering to a lot of very niche uh, audiences here, Elliot. That's very nice.
1: Yeah. Well, if I I figure if I build up enough niche niches, then I'll have a collection that amounts to Main Street, and okay. then I can yeah. have my cake and eat
0: it too. Nice. <laughs> That's very good. But I think honestly, even the cinematography outside of just the D-Day sequence uh, is just phenomenal. The one scene or the one shot that came to, comes to my mind as one that I thought was very good was the shot in the church when the medic, I think is, no, yeah, the medic, is talking about waiting for his mom to come home. And there's a great shot where it does it between two like pillars, so a lot of the screen is taken up with black cuz these pillars are in the way and so it makes him look very small and very alone as he's telling this story about this thing that he really regrets doing when he was home and now doesn't have this chance to fix or feels like he's not going to have a chance to fix which turns out to be a correct feeling on his part right
1: and that also plays into the uh, like The character aspect of the movie uh one of the big criticisms that i saw in the negative reviews that i really disagree with is that the characters are all very one-dimensional very stereotypical they're all like these overblown archetypes of war movie characters and i haven't seen a whole lot of movies but to my mind these i mean most of the characters obviously this is a decently sized cast so they can't get everyone but most of the characters have decently fleshed out backstories and motivations
0: yeah well and it's certainly it's far better i mean i also haven't seen a ton of war movies but like i've played uh call of duty world war ii and it's better than the dribble characters (laughs) it's better than those like i would never describe any of them as just an archetype. And the other thing that really struck me was how consistently like funny the scenes of them just like walking and you know fooling around with each other and playing jokes and stuff. Like I was I was yeah, cracking up. I,
1: talking about family and how you can never turn your back on it. Wow, the open you're road So funny,
0: Elliot. <laughs> just really
1: well. I'm now I'm reaching out to the, the fast and the furious <laughs> niche. Come on in, oh, guys. Sure,
0: sure. But no, I just I All of the characters, and again, I think it's such a phenomenal Tom Hanks, the turn from he's just some hard-as-nails guy to he's just some guy with a wife, and he's like a simple, normal person, that it helps you get even more into this sense of, like Spielberg talked about in that interview, saying it was a movie for people like his granddad, where they weren't some what his father not his grandfather father i was gonna say granddad i was working out the numbers and i was like dang that granddad must have been flipping old bro (laughs) but like that most of the people in the the war weren't some crazy pro-american you know nut it was just some dude who had a family and who had people and i think it's even hammered in in like when they find the first Ryan and it's the wrong one and he's talking about his you know little brothers and stuff. And the scene in the church where everyone's kind of talking about their mom and stuff, it just does a fantastic job of grounding them in a way that I don't think a lot of other war movies do. Or a lot of war movies since then have done the same thing. Like, of using this, let's talk about our homes in order to achieve this, the same effect.
1: Yeah. And I think that it plays into, I think that you could, even if it's not intended to be an out and out anti war movie, you could still read this as an anti war movie because arguably depicting war realistically will inherently amount to an anti war movie because, you know war is just a very terrible thing yeah you know i think about the like one of the the first shots well in fact the first shot of the d-day invasion is when the ramp falls down and immediately there's just gunfire everywhere and like half of the people who are standing in front of the in the front of the boat just fall over dead yeah because the fact of the matter is in total war conflicts like world war ii so many of the soldiers purpose isn't actually to like fight the enemy or kill the enemy. It's just to soak up ammunition.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And I mean, that's, that's a, it's an incredibly harrowing thing to think about and, and even more harrowing to actually witness.
0: Yeah. Also, can we talk, I personally, I feel like Miller's last thing that he says to Ryan when he says earn it kind of a jerk move, I think. I mean, Ryan's already going to feel kind of crummy knowing all these people died to save him. You don't have to explicitly say, I'm expecting you to, like, do something with this.
1: Right. I mean, that's another part of the thing about its depiction of war and the many idiosyncrasies that are part of it. Like, there's nothing inherently special about... So they have that time where they... They find the crashed plane and the plane. Uh, the reason it had crashed is because it was carrying like a lieutenant general, I think, or maybe a brigadier general, some yeah. like low level general. And they talk about how a lot of people died just for this one guy. And there's nothing inherently like more. Wor- His life isn't inherently worth more than anyone else's. It's just he had information, he had tactics, he had like the us government's seal of approval and that made him worth more than the other people and it ended up getting everyone else killed, and that's you know it's just part of the of the contradictions that
0: war comes with yeah well i think it's one of the things that makes like you said saving private ryan is seen as a, a classic and continues to this day to have a strong hold on people And I think a big reason for that is because there's a lot of nuance to the mission and to the people where it can generate a lot of conversation that you're like, was it worth it for them to go and save Ryan just so this mom wouldn't have to lose all of her kids? Like, you know, I think you can make the argument that you're like, once you lose three, I mean, you know, one more... like, there's so many things you could say and you could argue about whether or not it was worth it. And I think that ending, too, with Miller saying that, like, it adds another thing to Miller, that, like, Miller wasn't over the moon about his mission. He wasn't... There's no one on the mission who becomes, like, this suddenly super pro, like, no, we do have to do this. It's so important. They all are kind of like, uh, oh, we don't know about this. But the movie never explicitly comes down on one side so it's just left the viewer to be like how do you feel about this thing and how do you where do you place you know the worth of one person against the worth of these other people who are trying to accomplish this thing
1: yeah I mean according to the math that I've just done in my head and it's possible that I'm forgetting some characters but I think five people in the squad die <clears throat> so assuming that they each have parents who love them i mean that's 10 parents who are now devastated you know what is that what's the equation there is that even something that you can quantify and like weigh mm-hmm. against the value of ryan's mother having some solace in that one of her sons survived? and i think that's another part of the just the insanity of
0: uh this level of conflict yeah so i think we've hit a lot of um points so how about we do uh the final final thoughts final thoughts and maybe a score if you think you can generate a score for this. my
1: final thoughts would be that saving private ryan is really really solid movie it's got fantastic direction there's not a bad there's not a weak link in the cast uh shout out to the guy who plays up him uh, his 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 part is really really hard uh and it's it's really hard to watch too, and the whole movie is hard to watch. But I I really respect it for not going too far in either direction, not going too far towards like tearing down the image of heroic, you know, the heroic allies, or uh, like deifying them. I think that Saving Private Ryan's biggest strength is its realism. And it's a realistic depiction of war. And the reality of war is that there, that it is an incredibly complicated situation where you're not going to be able to, well, except in the case of like Nazis and stuff, you're not, it's going to be difficult to find it's going to be difficult to find simple heroes and villains, so I I would give it a solid A. A. Hey,
0: okay. Well, you're you're using letter grades. I was going to do a number grade, so that's kind of well, that's how you.
1: I that's how that's just I just find letter grades for whatever reason easier to dole out than numbers. But you can you can do whatever you want.
0: All right. Well, I'll do numbers. It we'll won't just confuse the audience. They won't be able to know you know how to compare the two of us. Uh, I think I agree with a lot of the things you say. I just think I feel like sometimes it does lean too far to one side. I think there are occasions where it fails to stay right on the line. And so it ends up losing some point, especially for me. I really like the movie, the whole movie to just be dedicated to one purpose. And if this purpose is, like you said, being realistic and staying on this line without flipping to one side everywhere, it does really Um, Kind of gets to me But otherwise Everything you said I think it's fantastic I think it's one of Spielberg's better movies Especially better Than his modern movies Um, And Every (laughs) I'm not usually A huge Tom Hanks guy But I think Tom Hanks is fantastic And every Everyone else You haven't mentioned Jason Schwartzman Is in the movie And I just love Jason Schwartzman So much
1: Who does he play?
0: Huh? Who does he play? Wellis, or wellish which one is that uh he's the one who gets stabbed with a knife at the very end wow i didn't even recognize him that's okay i recognize i'm his biggest fan
1: it's funny you should mention tom hanks actually i'm sorry i'm interrupting here but uh the guy on the the essayist on deviant arts when he was talking about he was talking about films that like can't remember exactly what it is and I don't actually have it in front of me so I can't look it up but I'm paraphrasing him when I say that he said he was talking about films that look at a subject with nuance and he said like Forrest Gump
0: oh gosh (laughs) all right well we're not going to reveal how we feel about Forrest Gump we haven't reviewed it yet so let's we'll leave that to the audience but, I, think,
1: um, uh, I think the, oh gosh, may have provided a bit of a sneak preview to that. We'll episode. cut it,
0: we'll cut it, we'll cut it, it's fine. Anyway, so I think at the end of the day, I think it's really a very strong movie. I think there's a lot of stuff that's very good about it, and a lot of war movies since then have been obviously influenced by it. So I think it's an eight, eight and a half out of ten is where I, I'd put it. I think the first time I saw it, it was a nine, dropped down to an eight and a half, still great movie before we get to recommendations i was just wondering where would you put this roughly in a ranking of spielberg movies do you think because i know you're a big fan of a lot of the stuff you did in the 90s so where do you think this stacks up with like jurassic park or schindler's list
1: oh well i think that jurassic park and schindler's list are both So I when people ask me like what I think is the best movie, like the highest quality movie ever, I typically answer Schindler's list. Uh, So obviously Schindler's list is at the top of my list for him. But then I would say it's like Jurassic Park uh, because I love Jurassic Park, Indiana Jones, the the two good ones, Last Crusade and Rages of the Lost Ark. And then I would probably put Saving Private Ryan in there, not because of any defect on Saving Private Ryan's uh, part, but just because those movies are all fantastic. I mean, it is true that Spielberg has sort of, let's say, slipped a little bit these days, but I think it's, it's, it's easy to forget that he once was rightly considered like one of the greatest living directors one of the greatest directors just period
0: yeah Hmm. that's interesting i think i'll probably put it in the same place i might put jurassic park lower because i don't really love jurassic park as much as you do but i think it'd probably end up in a similar place all right so now now we're gonna have another section for everyone who loved bantering so much (laughs) we've got recommendations So we're each going to recommend one movie that's in a similar vibe, a war movie, or depending on how we feel, we might end up recommending just a random movie. But I think we're both going to recommend a war movie today, right? Uh, Sure, I can do that. (laughs) All right, well, I'll go first. The war movie I had in mind was Paths of Glory, a Stanley Kubrick movie from the early... Probably 50s, I'd say. Um, it's a World War One, two. Yeah, yeah it's World, World War I. One. One. Uh, I just think it's a really fantastic war movie, a lot like Saving Private Ryan. I think it shows sort of the humanity and the people, but because it's Kubrick, it's a much more cynical view of the soldiers. And I don't see it talked about a ton just because what Kubrick would go on to do was so fantastic. But I think Passive Glory, if you have the chance, is worth a watch, if you liked this. Now you go, Elliot. Uh,
1: so I'm going to recommend <clears throat> 1917, which is also a World War One movie. It's directed by Sam Mendes. Uh, I'm afraid I don't have the starring information on hand or like how many Academy Awards <laughs> it was nominated for, what the... Uh, What the shutter degree was at, probably not, because I think that shutter is just a thing with film and not with digital cameras. Uh, But 1917, I think, is if you like Saving Private Ryan for its more humanistic elements, you know, for its focus on individual characters and their struggles and like the little pieces that make up a war that are sometimes forgotten in the, you know, broad narratives of geopolitics and uh, those types of ideological conflicts. I think that 1917 is a perfect movie for you because it's laser focused on this like singular pair of characters and their struggles to save what is in the big picture, a very small portion, very small portion of like the allied army or I think there was a different name for Allied for the "quote unquote" good guys in World War One. So because I think actually yeah. Germany and their peeps were called the Allies. I think we can you cut might. that. <laughs> but it 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 doesn't undercut that because the movie is about uh you know it's about these individual characters and how they matter just as much as anyone else, which is why there's this
0: big push to save them. Mm. I actually I said I watched Saving Private Ryan with mom and Lydia, our sister, and I actually said to them that this is like the American version of 1917, because in 1917, every time they reach like a new place, they meet some new ultra famous British actor and say Saving Private Ryan is the same thing. that it's like, oh, here we are. Oh, Paul Giamatti's here. Oh, Nathan Fillion, that every place they get to, it's some new, you know, very famous American actor.
1: Yeah, but again, those guys were actually pretty unknown at the time. And so was Matt Damon. Matt Damon was actually cast because of his relatively unknown status. And actually, Goodwill Hunting came out like a few weeks before this movie oh, and God. rocketed him to stardom. So it sort of undercuts uh, the casting director's efforts.
0: <laughs> That's funny. This exact same thing happened with Midnight Cowboy where they cast Dustin Hoffman because he was an unknown and The Graduate came out right before they started filming. So they had a horrible time filming in New York because Hoffman was constantly getting swarmed by fangirls. (laughs) Dang. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that's pretty much everything. So we hope uh, people enjoy. Really come up with
1: some musical transitions in between segments, you know. All right. Well, I'll be
0: sure to tell our professional audio. And now
1: it's time for recommendations.
0: All right. I'll just clip that and use yeah, that. That'll work. All right. Well, then uh, that's pretty much it. And
1: now it's time to wrap it up.
0: All right. That's All right. Wrap it up, Nathan. <laughs> I'm trying to wrap it up. So we hope you enjoyed this, or we hope people keep listening. If not, we're just going to keep doing this, because we just like just talking gonna about it. to keep on flinging it out into the void. Yeah, and I hope that guy who wrote the negative review on DeviantArt could listen to this and maybe uh, have his opinion changed. Yeah, I don't think so. Um, Unless
1: he's part of... I bet that he's part of the... Fast and the Furious niche, and so he's gonna hear about my my olive branch to them. Then he's gonna mm. listen to the show. He's gonna be like, "Wow, my my eyes are open."
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Probably. All right, all right. Yeah, all
1: right, hey, hey, we'll, we'll see you later.